Hi, and please welcome to my podcast, Dean and Aftab, who have developed Ada. But what is Ada? Ada is a Bolton College's campus digital assistant. Ada is named after Ada Lovelace. Uh, Ada can also mean academic digital assistant. Uh, so Ada is a, a virtual digital assistant that supports students, teachers and campus support teams with everyday questions around campus life and about campus services. Uh, Ada was set up in uh, April 2017, but the actual project started uh, a few months uh, prior to that. And perhaps Dean can give us an introduction to that story. Yeah, so um, essentially I was sat in the office with Aftab one day and um, I was a little bit frustrated that I couldn't find some information that I was looking for. So um, I complained a little bit that there's no central repository of information in the college mm. and um, suggested that we build one. And um, Aftab said, well, let's use AI. And that's not what I had in mind initially. I thought we would use... You know, we'd have a central help desk with somebody manning it or something like that. Now, I didn't think much about it, and I think I, I went on holiday for a week, and I'd come back and have to have a built um, a little bit of a rudimentary chatbot um, that worked. Um, it said hello, and it could answer, answer some questions. So yeah. what does Ada actually do? At the moment, what's Ada's job in the college? Uh, well, Ada's, uh, our main one is... If you've got a question about the college and campus services, uh, as a student, can you pose a question to Ada and get an answer for that in real time? So if you wanted to find out what lessons you had in the morning or when your next exam is, or when does the library open, or what's the telephone number for exams or student services, it just uh, um, answers and responds to those types of queries. Mm. That's the main function, to act as mm. an oracle for campus services and campus information for students. Mm. And they can do that uh, any time of the day. Um, we've got students uh, clocking in round the clock and, and asking questions uh, about a whole manner of subjects. Uh, and during out-of-office hours, especially Saturdays, Sundays in the evenings and the early mornings, uh, Ada comes into its own, especially at the start of a new academic year. Like when, when there's a new academic year and you've got thousands of new students coming to the college for the first time, Aid as the, the first protocol for many students to find out where they need to be, uh, they need to redo their exams, uh, they want to redo some resets, mm. or they want some financial information, then Ada is there and available for them to use. And how popular is it at the moment? Or has it been over the last couple of years? Well, uh, since 2017, uh, how many questions has, has she answered? I'd have to look at the statistics, but it's in the realm of hundreds of thousands of questions. So we're a small college, so for, for a small college uh, where students don't go to Ada every single hour of the, of the week, mm. but they go to Ada as and when they need, need, need some information to support the studies, that, that number's quite a healthy one for the college as well. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And how is it being developed now, because you've got something new in the pipeline at the moment? Yeah, so um, the visual persona, or the digital human, is essentially... Um, quite a hyper-realistic representation of Ada um, that uses some advanced technology using artificial intelligence from a company called Unique. Um, and I've, I found the solution a few months ago, maybe about four months ago, and thought it would be really suitable for testing out whether or not it would be um, 
beneficial for students to have a visual representation of the the um, the experience. Uh, so we've implemented that, and it's been interesting because um, although everyone's most people are blown away by the technology, mm. um, there's been varied responses to it as well. Um, what kind of things? Um, well, so. I've noticed a few different categories of people and the first category is wow isn't that amazing the other category is um, oh that freaks me out a little bit <laughs> because it's so realistic Yeah, yeah. and um, there's another category of people who um, kind of like are sensitive to EDI measures regarding it the fact yeah. that it's a female yeah. um, the race of the character the appearance of the character um, so those are the three categories of people I've noticed so is there any like like the image of a will you keep it that way or no, what, like, what's uh, your idea? Our reference point for the Ada service has always been Ada Lovelace. Yeah. So so we picked Ada Lovelace as our reference point because she's just a, an iconic figure uh, within computer science. Uh, in in the eighteen forties she saw the future and she basically said um computing devices, uh or these machines, these steam engine machines back in the nineteenth century. Uh, would be all-purpose general computing machines. Mm. So she said that back in the 1840s. Mm. So we thought, as a homage to her, we would call uh, the Ada service at the college after Ada. Yeah. So uh, that means that because we're referencing an historical figure, an important historical figure, who happens to be female, yeah. means, yeah, that, yeah. means that our Ada digital assistant has also got a female persona to her. But our persona that we've developed um, for her has always been very, very much student-centred and in our early days we approached people like the mental health team at the college and said what, what would happen if a student posed a mental health query to Ada, mm. how should Ada respond uh, and so wherever possible we try to be uh, holistic uh, as possible and uh, to make sure that uh, Ada was all embracing and supports the needs of a vast majority of students around the college. Mm. So if a student uh, poses a, a sensitive question, uh, we've got um, teams around the college who helped us compose the appropriate uh, response back to Ada. Mm. And if someone says I'm being bullied or, um, or uh, the, 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 they're not having a, a good time at the college, then the, the, that takes really to appropriate people. We can follow up that conversation mm. with the student. Yeah, there's actually a trigger in place that will highlight the fact that somebody's said something quite worrying. Right, okay, that's good. Cool. Uh, yeah. yeah. And we said also as well, uh, how should Ada respond? What, what should be her mannerisms uh, when she's responding to the computer on the screen, mm. to the student on the screen? Yeah. And we said that she needs to be uh, positive. Yeah. Uh, she needs to be supportive. Um, she she can't, not, can't necessarily be your friend as such, but... Uh, is, is there to represent the college and to support the college uh, when it comes to helping out students on a day-by-day -day basis. Mm. So that's our general persona for Ada, to be uh, to act as an assistant to support uh, teachers and campus support teams uh, to help the students on a day-by-day -day basis. It's difficult to maintain that consistency, though, because yeah. we've had a lot of different people entering the information into the, into the bot. I think yeah. one of AFTAB's better ideas was to include work experience students uh, in programming the content for the uh, yeah. for the bot. So in the early days in 2017, we had lots and lots of work placement students teaching Ada. So we had an explosion of content then. And they started posing questions that we wouldn't have thought about. Mm. Um, in fact, that's an interesting one. Uh, we had Viv Fernside, who's our um, staff development manager at the college, 
And uh, in the early days, we asked Viv to sit down in front of a computer screen and pose a question to Ada. And the first uh, thing that we discovered was that she posed it in a way that we hadn't envisaged. Right, yeah. Uh, so our, our language that we used to, uh, on the IBM Watson platform was too rigid. So and what it, did she say? Can you remember? I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember. Just the way she phrased it. And, yeah. Um, so we learned a valuable lesson there to relax mm. our language, to say, yeah. uh, to, to phrase things uh, in everyday speak. Yeah. And pretend and to put ourselves in in a foot in the feet of a sixteen year old, or someone who's very formal or very relaxed about language use. Yeah. Uh, and maybe they don't use a, a well structured sentence and they may and may abbreviate that sentence. Yeah, because we got what, a few students in, didn't we? Like a few weeks ago. Mm. Um, they were very good, but I think one of the you asked the girl to say something, and she said it in a bit of a different way, and yeah, it, yeah. it didn't quite pick it up. We live in an age of immediate gratification where people, you know, they expect things right now yeah, and they get yeah. them straight away. And I think it panders a little bit to that generation where you oh, get yeah. the information mm. that you want straight away. Now, digital assistants are going to become more um, familiar to you, and they're going to have, there's going, there's going to be a, high, a heightened sense of familiarity between yourself and the digital assistants, and I think. If the digital assistants start to behave with more contacts, uh, with, uh, with increasing amounts of data that they have around you as a student, then there needs to be a sense of familiarity between yourself and the system that you're using. Mm. So, so I don't think voice, uh, voice is important, but we started an experiment uh, uh, this year whereby could, could we present an air face to uh, the, the students and the teachers who use the service? Um, because we thought in the long run, um, what would happen if you could have a longer conversation with Ada? Well, could you maintain that on voice only? And we thought that would be harder than having a conversation with a, an animated digital avatar on the screen or a digital human on the screen. Mm. So we thought having a face on the screen that represents our digital assistant lends itself to longer form conversations. Yeah, I think so. Like if I, I mean, obviously we're used to like Apple and Alexa. And that doesn't have a face, yeah. but I think it's going to evolve to that, and you're more likely to relate to something if it's got a, it's got a face. So do you think like students could choose what it looks like? I think in the long run, people will have that choice. Yeah. Because they they can then pick the gender and everything else like that. Mm. But we're always going to have this problem at Bolton College because we've named our service Ada. Yeah. Uh, well, but, but it doesn't have to be a girl's yeah, name. Yeah. No, I know, <laughs> I know. Like, uh, my youngest lad, Mo. Um, he said, he had qualms about us having a face for Ada. Mm. Uh, and he was saying, why, well, the, why haven't um, mm. Amazon done it? Why haven't uh, Google done it? Why haven't uh, Apple done it? Microsoft mm. done it? And he was, he was saying that they haven't done it because their um, uh, user base is basically everyone around the world. Yeah. And people come in, uh, different ethnicities, different colours, different ages, uh, different genders. And it says you could, they haven't uh, adopted a, a a a visual persona for their assistants because uh, everyone's different. Yeah, yeah. And you can't choose one uh, digital uh, avatar for the entire globe. Mm. So it said that there's reasons why they haven't adopted that. You could say, well, I, I want to curate my own and uh, have my own digital uh, persona presented on the screen. Yeah, I think it's difficult, isn't it? Because it's... Mm. You know, you, you have to choose. It's like, I don't know, do you think it's like if you choose someone for a job, you know, they are who they are. You yeah. can't change, they can't change their colour of the skin or 
So oh, uh, it's just someone who's good for the job, really. <laughs> in terms of, I don't know, fast branding for the organisation. So good thought. Um, if there's some decent editing tools where we could edit our avatar and get the students involved. Mm. So in, in the long run, we want our students to take part in that conversation. We want them to advise us about the look and feel of the avatar on the screen. Mm. And I want them to be part of that story. Yeah. One of our directors, uh, Karen Weston, have said, can we uh, ask the students to take photographs of the student and there's an um, uh, amalgam of faces mm. that, uh, that, that makes up the final uh, yeah. Uh, avatar. I thought that's a really uh, uh, nice way of, uh, of visualizing that. Yeah. Good idea, yeah. mm. That is a good idea, but I think <clears throat> even if you do that, even if you include the students, mm. forget about one thing that is designed by committee as well, which yeah. is always quite often a, a mistake. Yeah. I don't think we'll, we'll ever keep everyone happy by the choice of gender, race, mm. ethnicity, because there's always you, you can't choose a representation and not. not Meet everyone's expectations, yeah, yeah. but you can imagine that like, we've always said in the team that um, uh, what, what would happen if you had a lifetime digital assistant with you all the time. So when you are a preschooler, uh, you, the mum and dad are handed a digital assistant, and that the, uh, they said that this digital assistant will support your child for the rest of their life mm. in terms of schooling and education and training. Yeah. So. Uh, Mum and dad, or that young child, have got decisions to make. Then, what gender do they give to that uh, avatar, yeah. the, to that assistant? Yeah. Is is it gender neutral? So there's some serious questions that are decisions to be made at a very early date. Yeah. And then the other one is, does the uh, persona or the avatar uh, on the screen uh, morph and change and develop and grow with you? So you're a three year old, and you've got this digital companion to help you with your studies and your time at preschool and nursery and so on. But by the time you get to high school, yeah. is that uh, avatar now a teenager that supports you? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. so how will a teenage student um, shape and form the look and feel of that avatar? Yeah. Or, or when you go to university, what's the look of it? Or when you're 40 or 50 or 60, what's the persona of your avatar there? I suppose it's like when you change your... I don't know, Bitmoji or your, if you have a cartoon avatar on your social media, you yeah. could just change it. Sounds like Black Mirror episode. <laughs> See, there's that uh, Archangel one. Seen that? There's that, I think it's it. Archangel oh. and it's about, I think that's a camera though, so it's almost like, from what I can remember, it's like an iPad oh. and the child has it and it's got a camera on it so that your parent oh. can actually see what that child's doing. So the child's in danger. Yeah. But then when she gets to a teenager, She's obviously meeting boys, and mm -hmm. then the mum sees it, and then it all causes. And then there's another one with um, it's Miley Cyrus, and there's like a little Miley Cyrus doll. Right, right. But that does a scare it. Yeah. Anyway, you'll have to you have to watch it because it's <laughs> that was it reminds me of what you were saying. But if you're a young child, your avatar could be a, a bunny rabbit. Yeah. A teddy bear. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so. Uh, will these global companies uh, that um, create these uh, digital assistants for their education sector, will they allow us to uh, uh, select and choose and amend the look and feel of our avatar mm. throughout our lives? I just wonder if it's getting on to, you know, like you're saying, that's what we're used, we're used to, Dean, about like just asking, wanting an immediate answer. What will it become in the next 10 and 20 years if we're... We're like, don't socialise with anyone. <laughs> we just, mm. we've just got our little chat bot. Well, there is ethically, and uh, we've got to ask ourselves that question: 
how is it going to technology changes us uh um when we interact with uh, the technology we uh change the technology as well yeah so technology is going to change us as we use it um is it going to have a negative or a positive or neutral effect on us uh, as human yeah. beings yeah. especially as uh, as young children or young adults in the education setting and is and if it's going to have a like in the 60s or 50s uh uh, American academics said computers will be uh, an intelligence amplifier. Mm. They would help us uh, do day-to-day uh, -day tasks and activities and make life a lot easier for yeah. us. And they will support us uh, on those day-to-day -day tasks. And we've been on that journey ever since then. So if you want to uh, do a spreadsheet and work out your numbers, you just go to a spreadsheet and they'll help you out. Yeah. Or if you want to do a search, go to Google and do a search that way. But there, there is no light without the dark, and yeah. um, you know, adversely to that, you know, people lose memory skills because they yeah. rely on the phones to yeah. write things down. Yeah. They're using calculators all the time, so mental yeah. arithmetic isn't as. I mean, even me after my Alexa, I can't. I forget because I'm used to saying Alexa, uh, stop or something like that. And then I forget, and it's the TV I've got on. <laughs> like, oh, right. I've got to actually go to the remote and yeah. press the button now because I'm so used now to just saying stop. And uh, when you get youngsters <laughs> in uh, your home, they walk up to the screen and expect everything to talk back yeah. to them. Yeah, yeah. That's quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. they're very young ones. Yeah. yeah. Or they walk up to it and start pressing on it because they've seen that you can press it yeah. on the iPad. Uh, yeah, every screen's interactive. Yeah. But uh, I think um, that the, there is the benefits, have, I think, outweigh the negatives. Yeah. But the negatives are big. Yeah. Like, for instance, will it impact on your ability to recall information? Uh, are you so dependent on an external memory device or a thinking device or a thought machine that sits outside your body to help you function as a human being, help you function mm. as a student? Which we already do with Google. You know, we don't have to, you know, you can have a discussion and then we'll just say, oh, we'll just Google it rather than debating mm. about what's mm. the answer. We don't need to debate it anymore. We just, <laughs> we just Google it. No, you could say memory recall is not an important uh, skill or a trait. Yeah. You could say, more importantly, nowadays, the ability to problem solve, the ability to uh, collaborate with uh, your peers to get uh, to get these problems sorted out, to be creative, to think out the box. Mm. And maybe they say, well, that's a more important skill, and your digital assistants on the side to do it. But I think uh, your digital assistants will help you and support you with your problem solving. So if your digital assistant uh, in Bolton and uh, North of Manchester here knows that there's a similar team with a similar problem across the globe. Will their digital assistants cooperate with each other to support both respective teams on the same problem? Yeah, you're, you're thinking like <clears throat> 10, 15 years in the future, maybe more. Yeah, more, yeah. Yeah, but it would take a monopoly to pr produce a digital assistant that worked with someone from childhood to adulthood. And essentially... Would that not be open to misuse, like the misappropriation of information? Um, mm. The other fake thing, news. yeah, fake news, that kind of thing. Mm. Like, could you manipulate one country's digital assistance to give information that, in the same way that mm. they do with the social media? Um, the other thing is critical thinking skills, because we do just Google the answers, mm. but they're not necessarily true. And not everything you read on the internet is true. You, you look at the wrong sources sometimes. You get mm. the wrong information, but. Um, who's going to kind of moderate the content of the digital assistance and keep all that um, to such a degree that um, it's accurate. Well, within an education setting, I would say, like we've got a platform called the Edigosa School Platform. Mm. And uh, uh, Dana uh, set that platform up because we wanted to find out 
whether or not we could open up the curation process for question and answer pairs about subject topics. So if you're a business studies teacher, could a group of teachers uh, in Bolton or uh, anywhere else in the country or the world help the curation of all the business studies question and answer pairs for the ADA service? So you could have different teachers to teach ADA about the different topics in business studies. Now, we haven't gone out to Wikipedia or, or, uh, or the web to actually retrieve the information we could do, but we said in the first instance, let the subject specialists teach uh, ADA about their subjects. Mm. So you could say there could be a degree of protection in terms of quality assuring the, uh, the validity of the answers if uh, academic specialists and vocational teachers actually curated those questions and answers themselves. Yeah. But, but you won't be able to address every single question about that subject topic and you may have to go out to uh, the World Wide Web for those answers that ADA can't respond to. Yeah, the project that ATAB's talking about was very much a collaboration and um, moderation model that works very similarly to Wikipedia. Right. So rather yeah. than articles, you have chatbots and people can collaborate mm. to produce a chatbot. Because Wikipedia was kind of dangerous for that, but it seems to have evolved so that... Because I guess you could you could still update Wikipedia and change people's birth dates and stuff, but... Yeah, but the, 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 uh, the behaviour of the crowd, yeah. uh, of a collaborative, participative crowd of people, means that the uh, health and moderation exercise kicks in, yeah. and uh, there's good oversight of the content. Some people may argue against that and say, no, Wikipedia isn't uh, always reliable and trustworthy. But on the whole, it, it tends to be because of this collaborative ethos that it has set mm -hmm. up. Yeah. Who's, who's to argue as well that you know, um, millions of people contributing to an article or thousands of people contributing to an article is any worse than one person or mm. a handful of researchers yeah. who have the information wrong anyway and producing the wrong information. I mean, I was just thinking about when I've used chatbots like with like customer services for like mobile phones, mm. but it only works to a certain extent, doesn't it? And then when you've got an actual query that's personal to you, and you and if you know that you've got that kind of query, you don't want to speak to a chat. So I'm just wondering how. Yeah, I, I mean, what I, are people's trust in it? And yeah, so it depends on how accurate the chatbot is. But I'll be honest with you, I, I got something off Amazon the other day. It didn't arrive, so I went on to support and it yeah. put me through to a chatbot. And the first the first thing I typed was, "I want to speak to a person," and <laughs> yeah. they rung me up straight away. Oh, right. Um, so you know, but th that's that's a preference of the person, and some people mm. will you know, happily speak to the chatbot. We don't do a handover to a real person on ADA. Yeah. And what happens is if if the student isn't getting the information they're they're looking for, they'll re 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 Yeah, it's got a handover, isn't it? It's so uh so if the ADA gets stuck on a question, ADA will hand you over to a, a person on the live help desk. Oh right, okay. So that's how we want to be able to do that, but practically and operationally, we need to have people at hand. Yeah. But yeah. what happens if uh, someone asks a question at 2 o'clock in the morning? So Aidan will say, I don't have the answer right now. Um, the, the people at the college will get back to you the following morning. Yeah. So it, it could respond accordingly. And the student will say, I'm okay with that. You don't have the answer, but someone in the team will get back to me in the morning. So it could be uh, um, designed to behave in that way. Yeah, yeah. So just going back to like Ada, so at the moment um, we've got it on the website, so our home page, and yeah. we ask questions like that. Where are you envisioning these um, 
screens to be in the college for students to use? Oh, the kiosk screens. The kiosk, yeah. We're thinking about the library, aren't we, Dean? For our initial testing, we've tested it in our office. We're thinking about putting it in the library for initial testing because it's moderately quiet in there. What we're worried about is the microphone in the atrium because it's a loud atrium. Right. So picking up background noise. So at the moment, experimenting with different microphones on, on the screen, see what works. But I think if there is a noisy background and we've got hundreds of students walking through the atrium, you, you, on the screen is going to find it hard to listen to you. Mm. So uh, the guys have uh, uh, got a, a touch type uh, screen as well and you could uh, type your answer into the screen okay. but obviously voice is better yeah i mean i don't understand the reasoning for putting it in the atrium because we have a reception yeah um i mean it's great you walk in you see it that, that's one reason for putting it there but if 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 you was looking for information say you was lost in a corridor and all of a sudden you walk past this machine that can tell you you know where the room is that you're looking for or who your appointment's with well, uh, um, you know, yeah. I'd dot them around the corridors, personally. Well, I don't know. I think you can, you can have that, but ideally, you want the uh, avatar on your mobile phone. Yeah. 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 Well, so, 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 in the long run, we're playing around with a, a kiosk service. We think having a kiosk on the campus is great. Like, you could go to student services, the reception desk of the library. You could have them in prominent places uh, in the corridors or breakout areas around the college. And I think they'll be wonderful for that. Um especially as a wayfinder. Yeah. So, so, so you want to find out where the library is or where the exams office is, they'll tell you where to go. Yeah. Uh, it'd be interesting how that plays out in the future. Technically, you could have a, a little robot that's whiz whisking around <laughs> the, the corridor and you say, uh, where's the exams office? And the robot will say, follow me. <laughs> so that, that, that'd be a fun experiment, yeah. a research piece to do in the future. Yeah. In fact, Maxine in the computing department has bought a little robot recently. All right. So... First question I asked her was, uh, "Can you connect IBM Watson and Ada to yeah. it?" And uh, we're looking forward to having a mess around with that robot. I don't think I've seen yeah, you so see excited in quite a while. <laughs> Robots are fun. <laughs> There's that new one, isn't there? What's it from Amazon? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, we love that. Really? Yeah, like uh, robots are always fun to play with, and your child comes out of you as soon as you start seeing a robot squatting around the, the floor around yeah. you. I think they are fun. And I think for students as well, uh, like we had this come in a few years ago and they bought in the Pepper the Robot <laughs> and the students raved about it. The yeah. whole day they had fun with, with these robots scuffling around the classrooms <laughs> and corridors. So robots are always fun to, to, to play around with. Yeah. I'm very pragmatic though. I mean, I'd just sell it up in Alexa to, um, yeah. <laughs> to one, of, one of the automatic hoovers from Dyson and just... I think you just never know what's going to take off, do you? Because you've got those, like Alexa or uh, Google, what they call Google Home, mm -hmm. they've sort of taken off and they had those lenses, didn't they? Google Lens, was it called? Yep, yep, yep. And that didn't, that's not really taken off. No, yeah, because, anyway. uh, yeah. And you wonder why, you know. Well, ethically, um, I don't think, they said perhaps it launched a bit too early and they hadn't uh, examined the ethical implications and how people would react to it. So that they're, uh, if they have a psychological uh, uh, team associated with that project, they didn't utilise their expertise. Yeah. They, we, just, they just didn't see the most obvious reaction to these services. Yeah. I think they also priced themselves out of the market. The hollow lens is over £2,500, and for the average yeah. consumer, it's not justifiable. But these uh, services are going to be everywhere. Like, um, way off into the future... You're, you're, they're going to be ambient, and you walk into a building and you're, and you're in the library, 
and you'll speak to uh, the, the the building around you, and it'll show you where to find appropriate books and resources in the library. Yeah. So uh, that that will happen, and you're gonna have to be able to speak to your digital assistant across different devices, like you talked about the different modalities, and you'll be able to speak to your wristwatch or your bracelet, and say, yeah. uh, where do I need to be? Yeah. Is it uh, even things like the wrist? I think I spoke to you about it before that when I saw, I remember it was, was it Kanye West? It was like, these are the future. And I was thinking, no. And now nearly everyone's got one. You just never know what's going to. But if these services are going to be uh, everywhere, um, you won't be able to live without them. Like, mm. If you ask a youngster nowadays, uh, uh, there are youngsters at home that uh, are most 21 and H is 23. And they can't imagine a world without uh, the web. Yeah. Um, they can't manage, They, they can't uh, imagine a world without a Google Wear, uh, because they've never lived in that environment. So the youngsters uh, that are being born now will be born in a, in an era where uh, a digital assistant is present. So you mm -hmm. get these little toddlers walking up to the screens and uh, thinking that the screen will talk back to them. Yeah. Because they think uh, these assistants are everywhere. Yeah. So they are going to grow up in a world where a digital companion uh, in one shape or another uh, will be supporting you with all facets of your life, in our case, mm. uh, education. Yeah. I think it's why you've got to get people into the culture, because even like from my side, when I'm trying to encourage teachers to use EdTech, it's like mm. some will just use it because they're in that culture, like I've, been, I've grown up with it. Yeah. But to try and get someone who's, who hasn't been using it it's yeah. get it in that culture, isn't it? Mm. Well, why don't you just ask Ada? Oh well, I just I'm not good with computers, but it, it's getting everybody into psychologically as well. If some somebody like that does ask a question and they don't get the answer that they want, they'll might make the assumption that it's never going to give yeah. them a correct answer. Yeah. Like when we first rolled it, I was a little bit worried that there weren't enough information in it to keep people coming back to it. Mm. Because if you if you use it one time and you you don't get what you're looking for, you kind of make it make an assumption about yeah. how, how well yeah, the technology works. Yeah, they think, oh, it works. doesn't work, so, and then they'll never use it again. It's a little bit like that with the learner and the staff site that we have. I think there's a, there's a lot more information in the learner version of Vader, and it's a lot more accurate than what we have on the staff side of things. Yeah, so I don't, I don't tend to gloat about the staff side because it's a lot weaker than the student yeah. side. Why is that? Is that because more students used it? Well, um, the staff side queries, they need to connect to more uh, sensitive data sets. Right, okay. So uh, we can't always do that, but... Perhaps we're a small team of before, put the students first. Yeah. Uh, but but um, we just we haven't put in the resources yet on the on the on the uh, staff side yet. Yeah. I think that over time it'll come. It does but, do basic yeah. things, but what it does is it mars staff's perception of the service because they don't see it from a student's perspective, where it's yeah. a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Because I would like the staff one to say how many holidays we've got left. <laughs> show, show me the holidays for my team. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. You can, ask, you can ask yeah. me complicated things like if I'm a teacher, I can say, Show me how many students I've got with less than 80% attendance, and it'll show you, which is quite a complicated thing to ask. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So, are you happy to talk a little bit about your other venture? Yeah, yeah first pass stemmed from work that we did with Ada. So, uh, in the autumn of 2017, uh, we ran some experiments to say, Could we use uh, open ended questions in an online tutorial? Uh, and, and we use uh, the IBM Watson uh, natural language platform to do that. Um, you can actually replicate that on all the other platforms like Microsoft or Google or Amazon as well. Uh, but in those days, we just wanted to ask ourselves, was it possible to uh, present an open-ended question? Because 
ever since the 1920s uh, with B.F. Skinner and uh, uh, John Pressy, I forget his name, Pressy, in the 1920s, they said uh, that they uh, constructed machines, analog machines, non-digital machines that could support students and teachers with closed questions. So uh, ever since the 1920s, uh, um, over 100 years ago now, uh, we're still asking false questions yeah. when we're assessing students on, this, uh, on a digital device on a computer. And we haven't moved away from that yet. Yeah. Um, so, so what does first pass? So, so first pass allows a teacher to pose an open-ended question to, to, a, uh, to a student. And more importantly, the student can respond using free-form text. Mm. So you could say, uh, what are the advantages of being a sole trader? And a student can respond uh, with all the reasons why it's good to be a sole trader business and how it's easy to set up and how you retain all the profits and stuff like that. And uh, you've got no one telling you what to do. And a student can write at length about that particular, uh, about that question, about that particular topic. Now, in the past, it would have been impossible for a computer to analyse it all. Mm. You could have answered it and hit a submit button on the screen and the answer went uh, to the teacher but the teacher had to read it and respond and give feedback as well. Yeah. That could have taken hours or days or weeks to get back to the student. But with first pass, uh, as, a student, as a student is composing the answer to that open-ended question, first pass gives that student real-time graphical or textual feedback on the screen. So student could say, am I on track? Have I written enough about this? I need to write a little bit more about that. So by the time it gets to the, um, uh, the teacher, uh, the answer is in a better shape. Yeah. So the student could save it, reflect upon it, go back to it, edit it, improve upon it, and then when they're happy, uh, they can submit it to the teacher for final commentary. Mm. First pass supports formative assessment. Um, we're not using it for summative assessment. Mm. And the teacher, at the end of the day, is the one who has final commentary and feedback on the actual service itself. Mm. Uh, again, like Ada, it uses training data. So teachers, when they're training up a classifier around what's good about being a sole trader, teachers have got to give that uh, classifier uh, a set of questions, a set of answers that are labelled uh, around uh, being a sole trader and the, and the advantage of being a sole trader. So as, as more and more teachers train up the classifiers, uh, the better uh, first pass becomes at uh, uh, giving feedback to the, uh, the students. Yeah. Now, one of the nice things about it as well is as more and more students answer that question on being a sole trader, the more accurate first pass will become mm. in supporting the students as they answer that question on being a sole trader. Yeah. So it's another crowdsourcing uh, um, participative uh, platform that we've developed. So with Ada and the Ada Gross School platform, where we can have multiple uh, teachers uh, curate the Q&A pairs, with first pass we uh, accelerate that. And it's not just the uh, teachers who are training the classifiers on the platform, uh, we're actually improving the classifiers with the input of the students. So potentially we could have an exam question or a formative assessment question on why is it why do people set up as a sole trader? And we could get 100 students in Bolton answering that question. But we could have a 1,000 students in London mm. or a 500 students in Edinburgh or anywhere else around the UK. And uh, their answers would uh, be contributed to the training data set around that subject topic classifier in first pass. Mm. So as more and more teachers use it, and as more and more students use it, potentially it could work with a very high degree of accuracy. Now when that happens, potentially you've got a business case uh, to say, can we use it for summative assessment? Mm. 
Yeah. But at the moment, we're not there yeah, yet. Yeah. But I think eventually we will be there. For instance, uh, why, why, what makes high, uh, blood pressure go high? What can you do to make blood pressure go down? That's a discrete, finite set of uh, knowledge that that yeah. uh, first pass could handle. Yeah, I do think first pass will lead us to another area where, where potentially uh, in the past a, a teacher would have posed that question, curated that question, and presented it to the student, and then. That, uh, the student responds back and the teacher can grade it or give them feedback. But with first pass as it develops, one of the things that it could potentially do is uh, the computer will uh, come up with a question and from a, a body of knowledge, a body of text, uh, and present that to the, uh, to, to the uh, student uh, without any intervention by the teacher. So first pass will say, his body of knowledge, body of text, I'll extract a, a question from it. Uh, because I know there's an answer in that body of text, and and I can uh, um, then analyse what the student has said against that body of text. So you go from supervised learning to unsupervised machine learning. Yeah, yeah. Right. So uh, I think that will uh, help teachers when it comes to uh, formative assessment. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's it's such a good idea. Like I just technology. That's what it's for, isn't it? EdTech is there to make your life easier as a teacher and I hate marking. I would say that's the one thing I hate about teaching. So anything that can help with that for me well, is just... But as a teacher, I would say, yeah. hang on a minute. Um, a computer, I've got uh, 50 students in my class or what have you. And a computer's uh, generating all these random questions yeah. about the topics. I've no idea what questions are being uh, fired at each student. And I've got no control of it. But the, quite but, a scary thought. But the computer will, the people behind the computer will say, the computer's uh, used all the data sets around the student and adapted the questions that it's firing at all the students. Mm. So if you're a level one student it's a, a, um, and you're struggling, it will uh, phrase a question in a certain manner uh, and present it to that, uh, that student. But whereas if you're a high-performing level three student, it could phrase a question about the same topic in a very different way. And it could actually demand more from that student, knowing that uh, that student is uh, performing mm. academically well. Yeah. So the people behind the computer, these services, could say, we're actually uh, performing at a higher rate of um, ability and adaptation and personalization yeah. than any teacher could possibly do. Yeah, yeah. Because a teacher couldn't possibly do that uh, with physical pen and paper or a computer mm. screen with an LMS. Uh, down to an AI piece like uh, First Pass. Yeah, and it's stretching the students, isn't it, to try and get them to like from merit to distinction, or from a pass to a merit. You know, because it's big on on us giving that kind of feedback. Like, how can you improve yeah. to make it better? It's good, but can we make it better? But then all of a sudden, you've handed, uh, you've introduced a classroom to uh, another agent. In this case, mm. it's unsupervised agent, mm. where the agent is has got more knowledge and a bit more power than, say, a teacher mm. in terms of delivering those I mean, I prefer that. I prefer to concentrate on my teaching and then I don't have to do any of the marking. <laughs> so I, know, but, I but, would like... But the question is, is that will a teacher accept that uh, future scenario where the AI is, uh, this cognitive uh, computing device, is delivering teaching and learning and an assessment um, on the behalf and mm. what does a teacher do then? What is yeah. that teacher's role then? I mean, I used to make resources when I first started teaching. I was like making, I was looking at the learning outcomes and then making my own booklets. Mm. But you don't have to do that anymore because everything's already made for you. 
and that just for me makes it makes my job easier and quicker. So, but the important question would be then that says, okay, what I would say, what's important for a teacher? Yeah. And um, what what can the teacher do that the computers can't do? Yeah. And having that empathy with that uh, with that student in the class, uh, having that emotional connection with that student in the class, encouraging that student to uh, to be more creative and mm. to be a the better problem solver, mm. to have that uh, resilience mm. and the courage to uh, go out and discover things and what have you. Some people said that's a better skill set to learn for the 21st century mm. uh, and let the computer do all the rote learning, the rote assessment, and let the computer do all that boring stuff for you. Mm. Uh, so if you want to test a student's understanding or knowledge acquisition about a particular topic or subject, let the computer do the boring stuff. Yeah. And then, but the computer can't do the uh, uh, the more important stuff like uh, creativity and uh, resilience and problem solving yeah. and all that lot. So some teachers will say, bring that on. I'm happy for that world to happen. Uh, but um, I'm not sure how what, what the wider profession would feel yeah. about that. Yeah. I think you're a long way from getting there at the minute, and yeah. as, as you know. But I, I don't think it's just about the perception of the teacher and what the teacher thinks about using the technology to do assessment. I think it's also about the perception of the student. And I think possibly even more so, you might get more uh, pushback from students regarding automation of marking. Because if I was a student and I'd written a dissertation for PhD, mm. and that I know that's an extreme example, but if it was being marked by a computer, I would feel personally, mm. um, not only would I feel that the process was um, um, potentially less accurate but I'd feel a little bit offended if, if nobody'd read it do you know what I mean yeah <laughs> yeah so if a fellow human being hadn't read it yeah. and digested that and give you feedback but then sometimes you think well if, it, if you fail something and you know it's a human who did it you think oh well they don't that's like me anyway yeah. so that's why they yeah. failed me <laughs> so you've got that side of it as well but marking and giving feedback like that's why our first first pass is very much a formative ex assessment piece of work that we're doing a computer doesn't know that you had a really bad week last week. Yeah. And a computer doesn't know that emotionally you struggled with that uh, piece last time you did it. Yeah. And um, a computer didn't know all the challenges that you had to overcome to actually yeah. complete this piece yeah. of work. Um, and the feedback that the teacher gives reflects that history. It does, that, yeah. that knowledge of that student. And he said, you did great. That was a lovely piece of work. I mean, you're, shining, you're beginning mm. to shine. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. A computer will not say that. It will have no empathy and no emotion about that. So that's where uh, uh, a physical human being uh, in, in the presence of a student is still important. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we recognise that we accept that on the project. Um, we don't pretend uh, these computers will do all of that because it won't. Um, you know, like Margaret Borden said, says that these things are just tin cans, uh, and uh, she treats them uh, with uh, complete and utter disrespect. <laughs> Uh, disrespect in that regard she says that's all they are just tin cans and uh, don't pretend that they're uh, any other thing at all and um, you could say yeah fine uh, like zoom was just a tin can well <laughs> zoom <laughs> the last year well video conferencing is has got problem, loads of issues and problems yeah. and people don't behave on zoom or, or uh, on a video call on uh, what have you uh, in the same way i think mm. there's there's a certain level of uh artificialness about mm. it but also, um, it was an aid you know without it's an aid but, Skype it, but, or know, but Zoom. it's messed up everyone's heads <laughs> and 
it's psychologically it's done huge amounts of damage. Yeah, yeah. Being in front of a computer screen for endless hours has hurt laws of students and teachers yeah. in a really bad way. And because it's, I would say it's had a, a, a psychological uh, uh, damage on people around the world, especially mm. within the education setting. Because people, do, uh, because people were looking at themselves on the screen, which weren't normal. Yeah. People said, do I, how do I look on the screen? Yeah. Am I, am I, am I coming across all right on the screen? Yeah. I'm not going to show myself because my bedroom's messy mm. and I don't want to show myself. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not looking my best this morning, I don't want to show myself. Mm. Whereas I got more confident because I sort of saw it as, well, yeah. I can hear my voice. You know, people don't like the sound of their own voice. But now doing podcasts and stuff, I'm so used to the sound of my own voice. I don't care anymore. Mm. <laughs> or I'm, I'm used to, you know, being on a video, so I don't care But sometimes anymore. technology is, is great, but mm. where it's being used day by day for uh, teaching and learning assessment, uh, sometimes can impair people. And having a computer mediate that relationship between you and your teacher uh, can sometimes be harmful to you. Yeah, yeah. And I would certainly say video conferencing over the pandemic, uh, uh, while, while it's been useful, uh, has had a negative impact mm. on uh, people's psychology. But, but I, I think it's had a, a really negative impact. That's why uh, teachers are, are saying, we're, we're glad to be back in the campus. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad to, to be in the presence of my fellow teachers and um, oh, yeah. my, my students in the class. Yeah. And, and, and I'm, ha I'm, dead. I'm happy to see the happy smiley faces again on the yeah. campus. Well, I, I can speak anecdotally. I mean, mm. I, I don't want to bring personal things into it, but I started mm. learning the violin during lockdown. Mm. So I had nine months of Zoom lessons as yeah. a student. Yeah. And I, although it was beneficial, um, it was it was a kind of a, a watered down learning process mm. where you you don't you don't have that. Um, Without the person being in the room, they can't see your posture. They can't mm. see, and I think a lot of the, the 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 drawbacks of Zoom are transferable to other pragmatic vocations that we teach. Mm -hmm. um, so you you can't really teach someone to cut a hair over Zoom, cut hair over Zoom, or mm. do plastering over Zoom. I mean, mm. you'd have quite com comedic results. But, um... I mean, I struggled. I quit my Italian course because they continued to do it online when we were back in college then. And I said, I just don't want to do it online anymore. You know, I want to do it. And I kind of like doing video. I'd rather do a video conference than drive to a, a place it takes too much time. But in other mm. areas, I'm like, you know, I want it. I want to actually be with. Yeah. So I don't people. want to complete backlash against education technology because <laughs> of all our negative experience over the pandemic. Yeah. But like recently we had a meeting with organisations across Bolton. Uh, like the council, the NHS Trust, and the voluntary service, and so on and so forth. Um, they were saying that they've got thousands of employees around the town, tens of thousands of employees, and they can't possibly afford to deliver uh, training face-to-face -face anymore. Mm. Can we use uh, online platforms? Can we use the services of the college to actually help us deliver um, training at scale to tens of thousands of people around the town? Yeah. And that's where technology uh, becomes an instrument of, uh, of good where it um, distributes uh, knowledge and information to a very large audience. And for mm. small teams, small organisations, it makes training and professional development uh, a, a lot more affordable and easy to do. So that's where it works wonderful at scale. Yeah. But also we've got to temper our feelings about education technology and say, uh, it's not always the case that we have to use it all the time. Sometimes, in this case, it's not good to use. 
and in this scenario we'll switch it off but in this scenario it is more than apt at supporting us yeah i agree definitely technology at the end of the day is just a tool and it's how you use it mm. and um i'm a firm believer in having teachers in front of students um but i think there, there could be a lot more done with um communication technologies such as artificial intelligence and uh... well our aspiration is um can we have a digital can we uh, provide uh, and uh, encouragement for people to uh, create their own digital assistants and can we uh, um, have every child every teacher around the uk using a digital assistant in the long run so our aspiration in the team has always been promote the use of digital assistants like ada and if ada proves to be a useful use case then why can't we uh, teach others about uh, how to make use of these services and uh, ideally in the long run uh, uh, can we aspire to every child, every student, every teacher uh, in the UK to have access to these uh, platforms and um, that's our aspiration. Mm. I think we'll get there one day and uh, when we do and um, that's our aspiration. Mm. I think we'll get there one day and uh, when we do I think the face of education will change mm. and uh, what it means to be a student will change, what it means to be a teacher will change and what it means to be an educational institution will change as well.